Welcome to Accessible Art History, the podcast, the best place for art history lovers or anyone that is curious. My name is Annalisa, and I'm going to be sharing an amazing archaeological discovery with you today. Just a quick reminder before the episode starts, all sources and images will be posted on the Accessible Art History blog. You can find the link in the episode description as well as on Instagram at accessible.art.history. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. For centuries, the city of Troy was thought to be a myth. It was the center of the Trojan War and related to famous names like Paris, Achilles, Helen, Agamemnon, Menelaus, and Hector. It's where we get the phrase, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. And yet, for thousands of years, we weren't even sure if it was real or fantasy. However, in the second half of the 19th century, a British expatriate and a German businessman and amateur archaeologist uncovered the, quote, lost city and more information than originally thought possible. It was an amazing discovery that allowed us to understand the development of ancient Greece. So to learn more about it, keep on listening. And before I officially get started, a quick thank you goes out to the Provincial family for sponsoring this episode. Our knowledge of the city of Troy, before the archaeological discovery, was primarily from ancient literature. Works like Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, Ascleus's Orestia, Quintus Smyrninius's work, and Virgil's Aeneid all describe elements of the story, with the Iliad being the most popular. In fact, Alexander the Great visited the site thought to be Troy in 334 BCE to honor the fallen heroes. Many Greek and Roman families claimed descent from the fighters from both sides to boost their own prestige. In case you aren't familiar with the story of the Trojan War, here's a brief summary. The story starts off with a handsome Trojan prince named Paris. He is asked by three goddesses which one of them is the most beautiful, a contest started by Eris, the goddess of, well, discord. Each woman offered Paris a prize for declaring them the winner. Hera offered to make him king of all Europe and Asia. Athena offered him victory and wisdom in any battle. Finally, Aphrodite offered him the love and devotion of the most beautiful woman in the world, Helen. Paris chose Aphrodite, and she fulfilled her promise. The problem was, she was already married to Menelaus, the king of Sparta. One way or another, either abduction or elopement, Helen ended up in Troy. Furious, her husband convinced his brother Agamemnon, king of Mycenae, to bring her back to Sparta. The brothers were joined by the famous heroes Achilles, Odysseus, Nestor, and Ajax. Together, a fleet of 1,000 ships sailed from Greece to Asia Minor to lay siege to Troy. For 10 years, the Greeks and Trojans fought many battles and skirmishes. Nearly all the major heroes perished in battle, including Hector, the brother of Paris and one of the greatest fighters in the Trojan army, and Achilles, betrayed by the only mortal point on his body. One night, tired of the seemingly never-ending fighting, the Greeks got an idea to leave a giant wooden horse outside the gates of Troy. The next day, they enacted their plan. At first, the Trojans were suspicious, but... They decided, against the warnings of Princess Cassandra, who was doomed never to be believed, they brought the horse into the city walls. That night, the Greeks, led by Odysseus, climbed out of the horse and sacked the city from within. The war was finally over, though at a great cost. Although it's clear that the story is fictional, because many of the characters are gods or offsprings of the gods, there are elements that may be based in fact, something I'll discuss later in the episode. In addition, we also know that it created an opportunity for discourse on the intervention of faith and the gods on human history. The story of Troy also impacted the story of another very real city, Rome. According to legend, Aeneas was a Trojan prince and warrior, the son of minor prince Anchises and the goddess of love Aphrodite. He fought bravely in the war, but when it became clear that Troy was going to be destroyed, he received a vision and was told that it was his destiny to found a new city far away. After a long and arduous journey and more battles, he finally settled in the area that would become Rome. 
Two of his descendants were the twins and founders of Rome, Romulus and Remus. Due to his powerful and mythical status, many Romans also claimed descent from him, including the Julio-Claudian imperial family. As you've noticed by now, I've mentioned a lot of mythical sources for the existence of Troy, but there are some historical sources that seem to mention the city. This is important because it gives a greater global context to such a foundational story in the Western canon. One example comes from Hittite records. This ancient Near Eastern civilization was a powerful neighbor to Troy and at the height of its empire, controlled territories from Mesopotamia through Anatolia. Around 1400 to 1300 BCE, the place names Walusa and Tarusa began to appear in the Hittite cuneiform records. Historians and linguists believe that it's possible that these names correspond with Troy and Greece. There is some evidence the writings refer to some kind of battle, but it's nearly impossible to say if they refer to the actual Trojan War. In addition, some Mycenaean, the homeland of Menelaus's brother, Linear B tablets contain names found in Homer's epic story, especially Achilles. In this case, he was a shepherd, not a warrior, but it's still an exciting find because it shows us that Achilles was a real name used in the Greek Bronze Age. Alright, now that we've established a ton of historical background, let's dive into the big discovery. After countless centuries, the story of Troy and the Trojan War had faded almost entirely into the realm of myth and legend. Only a select few believed that it was based on a real place. There was some evidence that something had been there because mounds, which were in fact tombs, dotted the landscape. Charles McLaren, a Scottish journalist and archaeologist, was the first person in the modern era to determine the position of Old Troy at, at his Sarlik. He did so in 1822 in his dissertation on the topography of the Plain of Troy. However, the most famous name associated with the discovery of Troy is Heinrich Schliemann. He was a businessman by trade. Although he always had a passion for antiquity, Schliemann was from a large family, and they simply couldn't afford to give him a higher education. He would find a great amount of success, especially because he could grasp languages with little to no effort. This afforded him the opportunity to travel to Greece and Turkey to find the sites that he read about in books. Armed with a tattered copy of Homer's Iliad, which Schliemann believed was the ultimate guide to finding the lost city, he made his way to the Troyes region in the northwest part of present-day Turkey. British archaeologist Frank Calvert had already been working in the area off and on for the previous seven years. He even bought the land so that he could work freely. However, he didn't have the budget to dig continuously. So when Schliemann arrived on the scene, he brought with him the money and the enthusiasm need to unearth the lost city. Calvert persuaded Schliemann to dig in the area that he had uncovered. Although he wanted to go with his own idea, Schliemann agreed. In 1872, the team hit ruins. They appeared to be a three feet tall or one meter fortification that was the wall of an ancient city. What Schliemann and Calvert discovered was not only likely the city of the Homeric legend, but the ruins of a city that had existed for over 3,000 years. Archaeologists have since discovered nine successive layers of the occupation in the area. I'll discuss this a bit more later, but layers six and seven are the closest match for the Trojan War era. It was a thrilling discovery that changed the trajectory of archaeology forever. Before I discuss the ramifications of this discovery, let's take a quick break. When you need me, 
mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, my name is Annalisa and I'm the founder of Accessible Art History. My goal is to bring art history content to anyone that is curious. All my platforms can be accessed for free, but there are ways that you can support the cause. If you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a rate and review on your favorite platform. I also have a Patreon and a Buy Me A Coffee account set up if you feel inclined to support Accessible Art History monetarily. However, I will always work to bring content for free because I believe that education should be accessible for those who want and need it. Thank you for listening, and now let's get back to the episode. All right, now that we're back, let's talk about one of the most exciting discoveries, Priam's treasure. While allegedly digging in layer two around May 1873, Schliemann uncovered a cache of brilliant golden objects. He wrote in his diary, quote, In excavating this wall further and directly by the side of the palace of King Priam, I came upon a large copper article of the most remarkable form, which attracted my attention all the more as I thought I saw gold behind it. In order to withdraw the treasure from the greed of my workman and to save it for archaeology, I immediately had a patios, or lunch break, called. When the men were eating and resting, I cut out the treasure with a large knife. It would, however, have been impossible for me to have removed the treasure without the help of my dear wife, who stood by me ready to pack the things which I cut out in her shawl and carry them away. End quote. Some of the magnificent pieces included two diadems dubbed the Jewels of Helen, and go to the blog to see a picture of Schliemann's wife Sophie wearing one of them. Thousands upon thousands of pieces of golden jewelry, cups, daggers, shields, and more. Knowing that this treasure would be coveted by multiple parties, he smuggled it out of Turkey. In a reproachable move, Schliemann traded some of the treasure back to the Ottomans to dig at Troy again. After World War II, Russia kept the part of the treasure that had ended up in Germany as reparation, where it remains to this day. As I mentioned before the break, it was discovered that Troy existed over thousands of years and therefore had many layers. Schliemann believed that layer two was the layer of the mythical city. However, this was actually predated the conflict by almost a thousand years. Study later showed that it was layer 6 or 7A, or both, that were the sites of the mythical battlefield. In these layers, there is evidence of great fire and conflict in the soil and ruins. I think that it's amazing that even something as simple as dirt can tell us so much about the ancient world. What would an archaeological dig be without a healthy dose of controversy? This time around, it centers on the co-discoverer of Troy, Heinrich Schliemann. Notice how I said co-discoverer. Many sources conveniently, or not so conveniently, forget to mention Frank Calvert in his role. This is partially due to the fact that Schliemann was a force to be reckoned with, both with his drive and his money. Calvert was passionate about archaeology, but was more shy than Schliemann because he was slightly ashamed of the fact that he was self-taught. Another, more serious issue was his treatment of his more valuable finds. As I mentioned earlier, he smuggled Priam's treasure out of Turkey. The Ottoman government sued him for half of the value, claiming it was rightfully theirs, even though it was found on privately owned land. Again, notice how Calvert is conveniently left out of the equation. In recent years, Schliemann has also come under fire for his, quote, archaeological techniques. 
In all honesty, he was a true amateur archaeologist who, quote, blasted his way through layers to get to the gold. It's likely that he destroyed parts of the sites in his quest. In addition, he didn't keep great records, leaving his successors a mess to deal with. There are some sympathizers who say archaeological techniques were hardly developed in the late 19th century, but his zeal was destructive, to say the least. Schliemann also made major discoveries in Mycenae, a discovery that I did consider adding to this season, but went with Troy instead. So, it's hard to discount his importance in the field, but sometimes his passion did get in the way. For example, he initiated and sponsored the removal of the medieval edifices from the Acropolis, because it wasn't what he saw the Acropolis as with his ancient preferences. This was met by large protests by the Greek citizens and even the king of Greece, but he did it anyway. The historian William Miller wrote that, quote, it was an act of vandalism worthy of any people imbued with a sense of continuity of history and pedantic barbarism, end quote. Heinrich Schliemann is a complicated figure. However, we can be thankful for his discovery of Troy while acknowledging his poor decisions. For thousands of years and through countless stories, the city of Troy has captured the public's imaginations. Once thought lost, we now know that it was a thriving city that saw the rise and fall of many civilizations. Make sure to tune in next week when I discuss the fabulous Incan site of Machu Picchu. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Accessible Art History, the podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at accessible.art.history and keep an eye out for the next episode. They drop every Monday on your favorite podcast platform. If you prefer to listen on YouTube, episodes will start being uploaded in a few weeks, so subscribe there too.